And if you would, open your Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, uh, to the book of Hebrews as we're going to attempt to finish uh, getting through this uh, book uh, that we don't know who wrote it, but we do know who he wrote it to, uh, the Hebrews that were scattered and they were wondering, they they were scattered because of their faith and they wondered, is faith in Jesus really worth it? And we've seen over the past few weeks, uh, God's Word lays out evidence that it is because Jesus is better. It's a topic, again, that will be revisited today. Now, so far in Hebrews, we have seen Jesus is better than angels, God's highest created beings. Actually, they worship Him. We've also seen that Jesus is better than Moses, uh, who was the standard for all prophets of God. And because of this truth, we saw last time we were here, uh, we're called to be diligent to enter the rest that Jesus offers. And one way we do that is by trusting in the living, powerful, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword word of God that discerns the thoughts and intents of each of our hearts. Another way we do that is through worship. And worship matters. While it's more than just singing, worship is a lifestyle. Singing is a privilege that we have to show our gratitude and awe for the one and only great God that we serve. We also saw another way is through prayer. And prayer is important. At least it should be. Um, So we're told to be diligent. We're told to hold fast and be complete. As we saw last time, that means we rest safe and secure in our salvation, uh, not in fear of losing it, moving forward right from where we are. We cannot go back and undo all the bad choices that we've made, but we can move forward from here and trust that Jesus died for all sins, past, present, and future. And this is part of the lifelong process of becoming complete in Christ. This is the hope that we have in Christ. Hebrews 6.19 says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in deep today, and so I just want to encourage you to, uh, to, to try to stay with me, because we, we already know Hebrews is it's complicated, but uh, man, there's so much rich truth. So we go all the way back to Genesis for uh, point number one on your outline, and we're continuing in that theme that Jesus is better, and uh, first we see he's a better priest and king. Jesus is a better priest and king. So in Genesis 14, we are introduced to a mysterious man by the name of Melchizedek. Uh, verse uh, 18 says this in Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Now this is only one, one of only two times Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament. The other one is in Psalms. But he's mentioned nine times in the New Testament, all right here in the book of Hebrews. Look, turn to chapter 7, Hebrews uh, verse 1 there. Notice how Melchizedek is described. Uh, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That's what we just read there in Genesis to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continuously. 
Now, some people believe that Melchizedek is actually uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and I can't say that for sure, but at the very least, he's an Old Testament Christophany or picture of Christ. So here in Hebrews, the message is, listen, Jesus is better than Melchizedek, this mysterious forerunner, priest, and king. Uh, notice in Genesis, um, he has wine and bread, just like Jesus had at the Last Supper. So just, just put Melchizedek and, and Jesus side by side and compare these, these things. Uh, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. As king of righteousness, he is a picture of Jesus who will one day reign as the king of righteousness. We know that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. Jesus is the great high priest, ultimately connecting God to the people and the people to God. We saw that in Hebrews 4. Melchizedek is called the King of Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9.6. Hebrews 7.3 says this, Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Uh, many of us have heard, are familiar with John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And if we continue to read there, we see Jesus is the Word of God. He was here from before time began. So Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the perfect King and Priest. So continue in in chapter 7, verse 15. It is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. And it goes on to say that Jesus brings a better hope through whom we draw near to God. And the writer ties many of the things together that we've already seen. Verse 25, therefore Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost. Say that word with me. Uttermost. It means completely, perfectly. Jesus is able to save completely and perfectly those who come to God through him since he always lives. Notice he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests, uh, the ones that came before, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, that is, which, that is God's oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected or made complete forever. Uh, So again, chapter 7, it's rich and it's deep, and I encourage you to study it on your own. But here's the bottom line with Jesus and Melchizedek and all the other priests that came before. Uh, Church, we will not find adequacy to do for us what we so desperately need in all of our hearts in any other person. No priest, no pastor, no one, because all of us have sinful and weak hearts. We fall, but Jesus is different. Jesus was sinless. He still is sinless. He never failed. Jesus is better. He's a better priest and a better king. Uh, that, that theme continues in chapter 8. Uh, this time, Jesus brought a better covenant A better covenant, number two on your outline. Uh, Look at chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better 
covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So a, a covenant is, is a binding agreement between two parties. And so don't get it uh, confused with a contract. A contract can be broken, but a covenant is deeper than that. Uh, and basically what it is, both parties essentially say, okay, if, if I break my part of the bargain, uh, then I'm inviting God's wrath upon myself. So when, when God makes a covenant, it takes it to a completely different level because he will never break his side of the deal. Now chapter 8 is referring to the covenant God made with his people through Moses. It's the law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, they revealed the, the holiness of God and his desire uh, for his people to live in holiness. And God said, okay, listen, if you will keep these ten rules, then I will bless you and you'll be right with me. So why then was a better covenant needed? Verse uh, 7 there said, if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So where was the fault found in the first covenant? Well, it most certainly was not on God's end. It's not that God didn't keep up his side of it. It was because the people could not keep up their side of the covenant. And God's wrath was what they deserved. God's wrath is what I deserve. Try as I may, I cannot fix it for myself. Try as they, as they may, they, the people could not fix it. They couldn't just ignore it. Chapter 8, 8 through 12 quotes the prophet Jeremiah who experienced with God's people what it's like when God's wrath came upon them. But notice the hope in these verses. This is the hope that Jesus brings. Pick it up in chapter 8, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, A new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So no longer... Is anyone made right by keeping a bunch of rules? No longer do the thou shalt nots in and of themselves make anyone holy. They are a, a recipe for maintaining a holy life, but they do not make us holy. No longer are sacrifices required. No longer are we waiting for this mercy for our sins somewhere in the distant future. It's here. It's now. All of these things are attained, and all of these things are fulfilled through Jesus because he brought a better covenant. That leads to number three on your outline. He's a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest. Now, we already saw that he is a better priest, uh, but this is the highest of them all. Um, chapter 9 goes on to talk about the tabernacle and the temple and the limited access that they offered to God's people. And then we're reminded 
Jesus is better. Chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. It's a lot of stuff going on, but notice that last word, inheritance. Uh, We're familiar with that word. When someone dies, the assets they have go to someone. And many times, whoever died leaves a will to decide where the assets go. So essentially this is saying, Hebrews chapter 9 here is saying, Jesus died, and the greatest asset he left is eternal life. And when we trust in his death and resurrection for our sins, God puts us in his will, and then we inherit eternal life. Go ahead and and tell your neighbor, that is incredible. That's the good news of Jesus. And no priest, no pastor, no one else does that. For us, Jesus is a better high priest because he offered himself. Uh, That leads to number four. Uh, Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus is a better sacrifice. Chapter 9, verse 26. Jesus has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Uh, Chapter 10 talks about how insufficient animal sacrifices were. They had to be offered over and over and over again, and they still didn't take sin away. They were more of a reminder of sins, but Jesus is better. Chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so this image of enemies being made a footstool is a picture of a time of peace for a king. And so this is speaking of a time that Jesus is waiting for when he will ultimately rule over the kingdom of God. This is the picture that he's painting. Jesus is a better sacrifice. The bottom line, Jesus is better. And because of this truth, uh, we can, number five on your outline, hold fast our confession. Because of all this truth, Jesus is so much better than anything else. So we can hold fast our confession. Uh, remember the question in the original readers' minds. Uh, and truth be told, it's one that we might ask from time to time as well. Is faith in Jesus really worth it? Of course, the answer is, oh, yes. It is. And notice the admonition in these next verses. Uh, Verse 19. Therefore, uh, because of all this stuff, 
Because Jesus is better, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we've already seen several God-given resources here in Hebrews. Uh, how do we stay diligent uh, by being in the Word of God? How do we hold fast through worship and prayer? And now we see a- another resource, and it's exactly what we're doing here today. And it is meeting together, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves. Uh, church, aren't we, aren't we blessed to have this church family aren't we? I mean, my goodness, if there's one thing that that 2020 taught me is that there is no substitute for this. Uh, In-person, face-to-face fellowship and gathering to worship and open the the Word of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 describes us as the body of Christ for good reason. Each one of us has a role to play at First Baptist if he calls us to make this our church home. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why God brings different people to this body of Christ to complete it, to make it whole. And so when we do forsake the meeting together, it's like we're missing a a body part. And and it's really hard to walk around if you're missing a a foot or a leg. It's hard to grasp something if you don't have a a hand or, or a thumb. You can't hear if you're missing an ear and all its intricate parts. And so it is when we forsake the meeting together. Each absence makes us incomplete. And then what happens? Someone else steps up to make up for the absence. Uh, someone tries to be a hand when they're really not designed to be a hand. Maybe they're designed to be a, a foot. And then that becomes exhausting, even though they were just trying to help. And then the other parts begin to ache. If you've ever had an injury, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is so important for the body of Christ, for us as individuals, to come together. Uh, I, I would ask that you would be, uh, be praying about the possibility of doing our uh, Sunday night small groups again. Um, we're in the middle still, I guess, the, the end whatever of this pandemic. And so we have to be very careful on, on what we do. And so uh, if you would just, just begin praying about that, if, if God wants us to do that this fall, if He wants us to wait... Uh, I just I just covet your prayers that that he would uh, give us wisdom as we try to try to leave lead this church, uh, but man, meeting together, it's important. Uh, chapter eleven, that, that this leads us to chapter eleven, and it's probably the most famous chapter here in Hebrews. Um, if you've ever heard any passage quoted out of Hebrews, it was probably out of chapter 11. Everything we've seen in Hebrews so far, uh, Jesus is better than this long list of significant things, so we must hold fast our confession. They all come together right here. We must, have, we must keep the faith. Number six on your outline. We must have faith. 
Uh, a verse that has often been quoted here in this series, this 2020 series. If, if you're new, uh, if you haven't been around with us very long, we're in this 2020 series, and we started in Genesis uh, back in December of 2019. And we've just been looking for the gospel uh, from one cover to the next. And so uh, one verse that I've quoted often, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance, the stuff that you can hold on to. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Chapter 11 is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. And it it lists the faith of people like Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Abel was murdered because of his faith. Enoch walked with God and was no more. He disappeared because God took him. Noah built the ark in faith. It lists the faith of Abraham and Sarah, how he left his homeland, and they trusted God to give them a son even in their old age. And he was willing to offer that son as a sacrifice, trusting that God could raise him from the dead. Look at uh, chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It goes on to talk about how Moses had faith, how the, how the walls of Jericho fell because of faith. Rahab the harlot was saved because of faith. Others endured torture, scourgings, chains, imprisonment, sawn in two. Look at verse 37. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So all of these were pictures of faith for you and me. See, you may be tempted to go back to your old way of life. Like Abraham might have been tempted to go back to his old homeland. But that's why we must keep the faith. That's why we must have faith. God gave us these examples for a reason. And you could probably add to that list people who you have witnessed in your own life. Examples of faith. Will you be that to someone else? Chapter 12, verse 1. As we begin to close, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, Church, there is a better and eternal life waiting for us on the other side. And this life is only found in Christ. He's worth living for. He's worth keeping the faith because Jesus is better. I wanted to leave you with this last verse, Hebrews 13, 8. It says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
uh, I've often have, I often have discussions with people uh, about how bad this world is and how bad it's getting and, and how really scary it is, not necessarily maybe for us, but for our kids and grandkids. Has that question ever, ever, ever bothered you, the weight of that? What's it going to be like for uh, the ones who come after us, sometimes daily? Well, I, I was reminded just a few weeks ago uh, of this verse. It was the verse of the day on the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you should get it because it's just, uh, it, it, will, it will help your faith. Uh, just like Jesus was faithful to the ones who came before us, and just like he has been faithful to you and me, he will continue to be faithful to those who come after us. No matter how bad it gets, Jesus will continue to be faithful. Jesus is better than this long list of things that we've seen in Hebrews for our kids and grandkids and for every generation that will follow. He's still the same. And so we can take comfort and we can find peace in the fact that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As, as we close and go into a time of invitation, um, we know we could spend weeks on Hebrews, we could spend weeks on Hebrews 11. But think about all that we've seen. We've been here for three weeks. What has God said to you through His Word? Would you just take a moment right where you are, bow your head and close your eyes and just allow God to examine your heart. What has God said to you through His Word and what are you going to do about it?